0: We are starting off this year with 20 weeks in the book of 1 Timothy, and uh, it's nothing compared to the Gospel of Mark, where it took us about 54 weeks to go through the whole Gospel of Mark, uh, but this is, I, I am, I've am i been waiting for this one. This is one that I'm, I'm excited about, and many people, when they th- think of, if you know much about 1 Timothy, it is Paul's letter to... Um, a young man that he discipled. He brought to Christ, he discipled him, and now is a pastor in the church in Ephesus. And many people, if they read through the book, book the oh my gracious, the epistle of 1 Timothy, they, they read it and they go, oh, this is a book about church order, how things are to be structured. You do this, you do this, you do this. this. If you do these things in a church, everything's going to be hunky-dory and absolutely perfect. You're going to have a perfect church reality, this is a book that talks about living out the gospel. And Paul, as a spiritual father, is saying, Timothy, my true son in the faith, fight the good fight. Guard the deposit that has been given to you. Guard the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and stick to it. And these are words to us today. As if Paul is speaking from a couple thousand years ago and saying, Missio Day Church, Paul Vroom, Stephen, Laura, Andy, Tara, Nicole, fight the good fight. Guard the deposit that has been given to you. Run the race that has been set before you and be faithful. And in doing it, the body of Christ, the family, will be built up and while you're doing it organize yourself in such a way and so today we are going to be starting the 20-week series called the good fight looking at first timothy through the eyes of the gospel what does this mean to be faithful with the gospel today we are going to be as as simple as as possible we are going to be looking at Two verses. A whole sermon on two verses. And often, these are two verses that are quickly overlooked. Usually the first two verses and the last three or four verses of any book are quickly overlooked. This is Paul's his greeting, his welcome, his address to, to Timothy and the church in Ephesus and to us today. So I want to encourage you, grab a Bible. If you don't have one... Find one on the pew next to you and uh, turn to page 990. 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord this is the word of the Lord well there's a, a cartoon that is out there that shows a, a woman lying on her sick bed and she is obviously in absolute misery she is sick and her body is hurting and there were, in the sink, you could see in the background that there were stacks and stacks and stacks of dishes. And they, they were just needing to be taken care of. Uh, next to her was a, a huge basket of clothes. They were sitting nearby of just dirty clothes, needing to either be washed or they, maybe they just needed to be folded. Some of you are going, that's my life right now, that's my apartment, that's my house. And there were two dirty children that were, were fighting off in one corner. And in the other, there was a a cat licking spilled milk. And then you see, in this cartoon, a woman that was standing in the doorway. And the caption of her saying, Well, Florence, if there's anything that I can do to help, don't hesitate to let me know. The irony of that, isn't it? You know, this woman who is sick in bed, there are dishes, there are clothes, there are all kinds of things going on. She is just on her, probably her deathbed. And then there's a good friend that's standing there just saying, well, Florence, if there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. Don't hesitate. Now for me, I'm reading this as through the eyes of a pastor. So you got to get, get that into your head first. First thing going through the, my head is, is a picture of the church. How many times have I heard those exact words from the church? Well, Paul, if there's anything that I can do to help, don't don't hesitate. And everything in my, my life is going, are you serious? Do you see that there are tons of things that can be done if you've been involved in the church, you know that we, we need kids, people helping our kids, because we got 40% of our church is children. We need help. And you say, don't hesitate to ask me. Kids! We, we need house group leaders, missional community leaders. We, we, we need people who are serving here. We need people serving here, doing the different activities. We want We've adopted a block. And I read through this, I'm going, It's a picture of the church. This morning, I want you to hear this from the beginning. The fact is, the truth is, is that God does not save us to sit. God does not save you to sit. God saved us to serve. He he saved you. He shed his blood. He sent his son to die on the cross and he sent his son serving by shedding his blood, giving his all to save us. Not so that we can just sit and enjoy a great service, hear a pastor preach about a cartoon. He called, saved us. To serve. Just as there's no such thing as a non-functioning member of the human body. So there's no such thing as a non-functioning member of the body of Christ. If God has saved you this morning from your sin. He has called you to serve him. In some way in accordance to your gifts and your abilities. And what so often happens is. Is You hear this this truth being taught. and So what do you do? You take a stab. It's like, I'm going to serve here. I'll get involved in the children's ministry. I'm going to try leading worship. I'm going to try doing this. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to do these things. And very quickly, you find out what? Oh, it's a disaster. It's not everything that I thought it was going to be. I thought working with kids was going to be a lot of fun and that they're all going to come to Jesus Christ at an early age. And we're going to have fun playing Lego back there and we're going to open up the Bible story. and we're going to share this and they're all going to be very content and listen and they're going to learn how to pray at a very early age and is all going to be really neat and wonderful. And then what do you do? You find out quickly that the schedule is all screwed up. That the person that you thought you were going to serve with never shows up or is always late. You're short on snacks because extra kids came. You very quickly find out that the small group that you're called to lead is nothing but an absolute emotional mess because you're so healthy. And you're going, but I signed up to serve God. Why? And I'm called to serve his people. I love, what am I, what am I doing this is an absolute mess. And the people that I'm serving, they're nothing but critical. They're Sometimes they're just downright mean. Right? Have you ever had that experience with church? They're mean? <laughs> John's going to preach next week. <laughs> so you thought that serving God was would be a, a kind of fun thing. But you diso- discovered that it's, it's fun like war is fun. Oh Lord, what have I done? I've signed up to do this. Timothy found himself there. Timothy found himself there. He, he had been a teenager in a home where his father was not a believer, but his mother was a, a Jewish woman taught him the scriptures he lived in the town of lystra and it happened that one time paul came into the town of lystra and he shared the gospel proudly stood up in front of everyone shared the gospel the good news of jesus christ and what happened people responded but at the same time people responded positively and negatively they responded negatively in such a way that they stoned him Dragged him out of town, hoping that he would die, that he would be dead. And what did Paul do? He got up after a while, walked back into town, and left the next day for his next part of his missionary journey. Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The beautiful thing was that Timothy was one of those who believed the gospel. He received the gospel with great joy and gladness. And in the years that followed, he grew up in the Lord and was highly regarded in the church for his ministry in their midst. And then, later on, the Apostle Paul came back to town. And again, this time, he invited Timothy to join him in his itinerant ministry, going from town to town. He saw what Timothy did. And he said, come with me. I'm going to take you on a journey. Watch what's going to happen. And talk about an opportunity to travel and serve with this courageous man of God who had led Timothy to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy would have been in his, his early 20s at this time. And he was traveling with Paul, who was probably around 50. And so for the next 18 years, until Paul was beheaded by Nero, Timothy served with Paul as a devoted son would serve his father. Later on, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to do his ministry to pastor the church there. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, a young man who is who is scared to death. And he is writing this letter of 1 Timothy to a, his younger co-worker in the faith to encourage him in ministry there and to give just these apostolic church instructions which are meant for the whole church. So serving Christ with with and under Paul sounds like a wonderful and exciting thing, but it was neither tranquil or peaceful or a ton of fun. Paul's early message that through many tribulations we must enter, through, enter the kingdom of God, that early message rang all too true for Timothy. Timothy often felt like he was, he was in over his head. Seriously, Paul, you were putting me in charge of this church with these people? I, I, I'm in, in over my head. Timothy is known, uh, if you read carefully through 1 Timothy, you see that Timothy is shy, and there's, he's really timid. And so you add on top of it that the church was probably dysfunctional, and you add on top of his personality He needs to be encouraged. And so this morning, we are going to start First Timothy understanding that Paul has left this young pastor in charge of a church saying, listen, fight the good fight. Guard the deposit. And I wonder how Timothy would have handled that scroll? Opening it up for the first time. Would he have prayed over it, God? May this be the miracle scroll that changes the course of ministry here in Ephesus. God, would this be the scroll that calls me to another church? What is it? And he opens it. And one of the very first things that he opens up and reads is Paul's address to him. Where he, he very quickly says, listen, my shy, peace-loving, ordinary guy, here is my message. This is, this is what I want you to do. And I'm going to need, Leah, could you, could you hop on the, the computer for me? This is the basic message for this section about what God has called us to be about. God has saved us. There it is. God has saved us and conscripted us into service so that we might bring forth true children in the faith. God has saved us. And conscripted, I know that's kind of an odd word, and I went through all my thesauruses trying to figure out what's the best way, you know. Is it enlisted? Is it uh, drafted? Is it signed us up for? But this idea of conscripted is this idea of a soldier signing up for something. God saved us and signed us up for service. What kind of service? So that we might bring forth True children in the faith. And this is one of those things that we have got to get. Verse 1, Paul identifies himself as the apostle of Christ Jesus according to or by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And this shows how God saves us and conscripts us. He, He calls us into a certain kind of service and verse 2 addresses Timothy as Paul's true child in the faith and that shows us the goal of our service our goal of serving together as a church is to reproduce ourselves spiritually as Paul had done with Timothy Paul uses this 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 phrase God our Savior." If we go all the way back to Genesis, Moses, when writing the book of Genesis, describes God in the first pages of Genesis as God our Savior, who is already at the beginning preparing a way for salvation. And Moses already knows that things are a total mess because he's little... He is leading the children of Israel. And they're nothing but a bunch of grumblers and pain in the tails. He goes, you know what? God, our Savior, is preparing a way to save His children. And this is good news. And here, Tim, Paul is saying, listen, by the command of God, our Savior, the one who is going to save is saving, is in the business of saving people. He is the one that has brought me into this work. One of the reasons that Paul may have just emphasized this term as God as Savior is because of the corrupt emperor during that time, Nero. Nero called himself the Savior of the world. And Paul is saying, listen, hold on. No, Nero, you are not the Savior. Only God can save. And Timothy, do you hear that? Only God can save. And this is a truth that constantly need, needs to be drilled into our head and reaffirmed time and, time and time and time and time and time and time again. I need to hear this. It is God who saves, it is God who does the work. I am just along. To be his faithful child. It is ultimately God who does the heavy, all the heavy lifting, all the saving. Because a human heart is proud. Proud people think that because they are worthy, or by their own efforts, or their own deeds, or their own willpower, they can save themselves. And I, I, as a pastor, need to get that into my mind because I get proud. I, I think, you know what? By my gifts, my power, my authority, by this, my that, by my skills, my organization, power, all these things, I can make this happen. Wherever you are serving, you've got the same issues. By my strength, my ingenious, my checkbook, my this, my that, I can make it happen. And Paul is saying, and reminding Timothy and reminding us, it is God who saves. It is God who is the powerful one. It is not you, proud person. And we need to proclaim clearly this message that people are lost and in dire need of a Savior, not because they need a little improvement, self improvement, or help. Okay, so even, even our resolutions. Are even our New Year's resolutions, are they gospel-centered? And do you think that you have the power to accomplish them on your own? Number one resolution is weight loss. Welcome to America. What is one of the biggest things we see in the news is struggles in, in the elementary schools, in the schools with children. It, it's what? Obesity. Obesity. And we try and we work and we work and we work. All this is showing what? We so need God to be the center of even our resolutions. Of what? How do we accomplish to be, be a better loving husband, to lose the way, to save more money? How do we do this? By the power of God who saves us. And we need to hear that even our salvation is not just to make us nicer, better people. It's not a self-improvement ploy. That's not what Christianity is. It's not a bunch of principles that make us better people. The gospel message is not, if your life lacks fulfillment, or if you need to prob- fix a few problems, try Jesus on for a change. Maybe that'll make it better. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel message is, apart from Christ, you are lost, perishing, and under God's judgment. You cannot save yourself any more than a dead person that can come alive on their own. God does not save anybody who's worthy because none are worthy. But by His grace, God saves unworthy sinners who take refuge in Jesus Christ and His shed blood. So trust in Him. That's what the Gospel message is. It is God who saves us. But he goes on to say that God has conscripted those that he has saved into service. If God has saved you from his judgment, the judgment that you so deserved, then you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you are under His orders. Sit in that for a little bit. You you are not your own. If you are a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you have accepted His free gift of grace which has been given to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You've been saved by grace. And therefore, you are under his rule, his reign. Even Paul, Paul did not dream up this idea of, hey, I I think I'm going to sign up to be an apostle. You know, he he didn't go into his local uh, job service place and take a bunch of aptitude tests. He didn't take all these, you know, things that, you know, think about high school all these placement things and that tell you, oh, you should be a teacher. Or, oh, you should be a social worker. Or, you should be a welder. Or, you should be a this. Paul didn't go into and take up tests and say, oh, you should be an apostle. But what does it say? He was an apostle by the command of God, our Savior. That means that those who are saved are not volunteers for Jesus. You are not a volunteer for Jesus. But that's kind of what we do, isn't it? I need a volunteer for for children's ministry. I need a volunteer for greeters. I need a volunteer to preach. I need a volunteer for this. In our world, we have so many options. You know, hey, want to try this on? Want to do this? Our world is full of options and people asking to volunteer. Serving Jesus, serving Jesus with our whole life, is mandatory for all who have been saved. It's mandatory. You don't volunteer for Jesus' army. You've been drafted. The only question is, will you be faithful, a faithful servant or an unfaithful servant? Will you be a faithful servant or an unfaithful one? God hasn't saved anybody. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He hasn't saved you to sit. He's saved you to serve. So every person that God saves is conscripted into serving Him according to how God has gifted Him. God has gifted every man, every woman, and child who is a believer in Him, who has been saved by Him for service. And here's here's my hard words for New Year's. If you are not serving the body of Christ, if you are not serving Him, something is wrong. If you show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, or you say, you know what? I, I, I only can serve once a month. Really? Are you serious? I, I, I. My life is just so busy. I can only give this much time to Jesus. Really? It is by grace that you have been saved. Grace that you have been saved. And there is a natural response to do what? To serve out of gratitude. Uh, Lord, how can I give you more? Whether it be on a Sunday morning, serving a kids ministry or whatever in here, or whether it is out in the workplace and you are serving Jesus Christ with your whole life. You are serving him because by grace you've been saved. And therefore you will serve the risen king with your entire life. Everything about me is about serving my Lord and my Savior. And He has commanded me into service. Everything about me is about serving Jesus. Everything. With my finances, with my time, with my sexuality, with my workplace, with all this. It's all about serving Jesus and giving Him my fullest and my best. If you're just sitting in your Christianity... You and Jesus need to do a lot of time together. 1 Peter 4, Leah. 1 Peter 4 says this, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Do you get that? You have been given grace, and so you serve. And if, if I am speaking, if I am preaching, I do it as if they are the very words of God. If you are serving, it is as if you are the very hands of God, serving Him. If you're in children's ministry, and you are working with those kids back there, you are the hands and the mouth of God, and you are preparing. This whole week, you should have been preparing, thinking, oh my gosh, how can I be more clear and creative to these three-year-old children? I don't know, but I, I need to think and research and do all my best. This morning, if I'm playing guitar or I'm singing, you know what? I'm leading God's people in praise and worship and adoration to the King of kings and Lord and Lord. I am going to practice every moment that I can because I want this to be a sweet, sweet time. If, I, if I'm going to be counting, offering later on, I am going to be praying, Lord, may this dollar bill be serving you. Lord, may this one and this one and this one. And oh. if you're greeting you offer the hospitality that has been given to you to those who come if you haven't been greeted this morning appropriately and warmly i apologize shame on us because we have been given such rich grace that it needs to be offered to you in abundance I should just say amen and go home. But Timothy was prone to discouragement. Paul shows him from the outset that Christ is our hope in our serving. And this is a great phrase. Our hope is not in religion. And thank God our hope is not in human beings. Our hope is not in a better world. Our hope, I love this song, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ's blood and righteousness. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ. And it's a certain kind of hope that rests on the resurrected Christ whose bodily resurrection from the grave is attested an attested fact in history. Our hope believes in the reigning Christ seated at the right hand of God, far above all rules and reigns, all earthly things. He's above it all. Our hope waits for the returning Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. And because such a Savior is our hope, we can serve Him and know that our labor is not in vain. So what is the aim of our service? Ultimately, it is like we saw in 1 Peter and you heard when Nathan preached last year. It is to bring glory to God. Ultimately, our service is to bring glory to God. Everything that you do is to bring glory to God. But one of the main ways we do this is by working to bring people into submission to God as his true children. how Paul talks about Timothy I'm sure that when Timothy opened up that scroll there were tears in his eyes to Timothy my true child in the faith do you hear the love son I love you You are a true child in the faith. This word true points to the genuineness of Timothy's conversion. But we need to be careful about this. Paul had written to the church in Galatia and he had written to the church in Corinth about their faith. And he had hard words to them. Very hard words. And we see in in 2 Corinthians, you, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this to the church: examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Those are hard words. And if I if I would come up to you and just say, you know what? Lisa, I, I really need to ex- you to examine yourself and see whether you're truly in the faith. We might not see Lisa next week. If, I, if I'd come up to any of you and just say, I want you to examine yourself, really see if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ. Who are you, Paul? Who are you to say that to me? I've been going to this church since the day that it opened, the first day I was here, I was on the launch team. Or I've been in the church all my life, I've been through Sunday school, I've been through confirmation, I've been through this, I've been through that. I've been through all the hoops, I was maybe a youth pastor, I was in this. I can pray in tongues, I can, I'm can. i at every prayer meeting. These are hard words. And then he says, test yourself. Examine and test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you Fail to meet the test. Paul exhorts his 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 readers in Second Timothy, in Second Peter, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be sure of this. Because if you are sure of this, there is going to be this natural thing that comes out of you. Just this natural love and desire to serve and to reach the world for jesus christ and every person that you come in contact with whether it be in your child care work whether it be construction whether it be in your unemployment or in your household work everything you want to do is to bring these people into the submission into submission with god so that they become true children of faith because you've experienced the fullness of his grace poured out on you Everything about you wants to bring people to Jesus Christ. Every word that you, you, you use is seasoned. Every activity that you do is seasoned with the gospel. So how do we know if we are true children of God? He ends it by saying grace, mercy, and Peace are from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. True children of God know the grace of God. Grace is the sweetest sound to those who are true true children of God. Because it means that God has poured out His favor on undeserving, rebellious people like me. God has poured out And I get it. Do I get it. True children know the mercy of God. While grace points to God's forgiveness, His mercy points to His kindness. To undeserving, miserable, and helpless people. God is kind to me. And true children know the peace of God. God's peace is more than just an inner calm, although it is that too. It refers to the overall well-being of a person who has been reconciled with God. Such a person experiences God's blessings even in times of sorrow and suffering. We've got the peace of God that passes all understanding, Even in times of, at the funeral, where, how can you sing songs of praise and how can you have peace in times of death? I have the peace of God, and true children know God as Father. The Bible reveals God as a kind, caring loving father to his children even if you have had a hard harsh mean absent father i'm sure i'm talking to a good number of us even if you have had that kind of unloving earthly father or no father at all in your home you can come to know god as your true heavenly father is revealed in the bible And lastly, true children know Christ Jesus as Lord. There's a, some of us tried to make this distinction between uh, Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord. He is Savior and Lord together at one time. He is clearly both Savior and Lord. And if you're not living each day yielding to Jesus Christ as your Lord you ought to question whether or not He is truly your Savior. So do you know God is your Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? If not, do not rest until you do. If so, if you do, then you know that He has saved you to serve. And the aim of that service is to bring Him glory by becoming His true child in faith and bringing others to Him to become His true children in the faith as Paul did with Timothy miss you today church I am not going to lead a volunteer campaign to serve our risen Lord that's a bunch of junk I'm not going to put out a bunch of sign up sheets and say come on we need help here we need help here as grace has been poured out to you, you need to respond fully to His grace by serving Him and not sitting. You need to serve Him in a multitude of different ways. In Missio Dei Church, I pray in response to the grace that has been poured out to us, that we see true children of the faith, new true children of the faith, because of your service. So, at home, wholesale. camp manitoba the substitute teaching that you do internship pass on todd chiropractic principal teaching social work ish kind of stuff schooling all whatever it is that god has is called you in that every opportunity you are your words are seasoned because you, the grace has been poured out to you and you need to serve people and you need to bring them into relation, a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, man, you need, because this is so sweet, this Jesus thing, this relationship, you need to understand who God is. And if you're waiting for me to do it, I'm waiting for you. We are the body of Christ. By His command, not mine. His command. I'm done. Let's pray.